All right, while those are going back, I want to welcome everybody to Grace Community Church this morning. And I want to acknowledge the elephant in the room that is cold in here. Uh, so at any point uh, in my preaching, if you want to stand up and, and do whatever you need to do to get warm, that's completely fine. Uh, I think everybody would understand. Nobody thinks anything weird is going on. Alright, we are going to jump into our continuing study of Colossians together. And before we do that this morning, we're going to pray and we're going to ask the Lord to meet with us. Let's pray together. Father, we come into your presence today as the people of God, your treasured possession, the people that are called by your name. And our desire, Lord, is to meet with you, to exalt you. And we come to your word now, Lord, and we desire you to speak to us from your scriptures. We believe your word. We believe that all scripture is breathed out by you. And we believe that the words that you speak, Lord Jesus, are spirit and are life. And our flesh profits nothing. And so we are completely dependent on you, Holy Spirit. To hear your truth rightly. And we ask to meet with you today. God we ask that you would take your word. Take your truth. And that you would drive it in our hearts today. As your disciples. That you would teach us how to think. And teach us how to live. In this world. And I pray very specifically today. Lord Jesus that you would set us free. In this room. That you would set us free from pursuing the praise of men. And that you would remind every single disciple in this room of the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The freedom that you have purchased for us, Lord Jesus. Remind us of your finished work today. Lord, drive it in by the power of your Holy Spirit. Come meet with us, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alright. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to begin our time by reading our text together. And as we say often, this is the most important words that you're about to hear in the next hour. This is, thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, from the mouth of the Holy One, truth without error. Colossians chapter 3, verse 9, let's listen to it. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. This is God's word to His church today, and our prayer is that He would drive it into our hearts all across this room. Alright, let's, let's just kind of take it from the top before we zone into this text. And I want to back up for just a few minutes and remind us of a context. Coming to the book of Colossians together, and we land on this passage that we just read. And just on the surface, you'll notice two things. About this text. It has a practical side to it. And a not so practical side to it. Practical side is specifically lying. Do not lie to one another. That's as practical as it gets. Okay. And then there's a whole other side of this text. That's not practical at all. It's doctrinal. It reminds us of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so this text is actually a good representation and a reminder of the Christian life. This is the rhythm of the Christian life, a bouncing back and forth between doctrine and duty. A bouncing back and forth between the imperatives of Scripture and the indignities in Scripture. A bounce back and forth, a bouncing back and forth between the duns and the do's. And you see both of that in this passage. And I want to highlight that because we said that over and over again, especially in Colossians chapter 3, that this is Christianity. This is what makes Christianity exclusive and unique in all world religions. Is that we do things for God out of having something done for us by God. The do's come out of the done's. 
This is distinctly Christian. And we fall into error as disciples of Jesus when we become lopsided on that do-done scale. I'll give you a quick thought here. On either side of that, you think about that. A Christianity that only talks about the dones and never the do's is a Christianity that's floating high up in the air. It's high and lofty philosophy that never hits the ground and does anything for Jesus Christ. It's powerless. It's powerless. And look at the other side of that. A Christianity that only talks about doing and never talks about the finished work of Jesus is moralism. It is powerless, Christless moralism. It is no different than every other world religion. And so I want you to see the balance there. The do's and the done's over and over again. Bouncing back and forth between the imperatives and the indicatives. So let's settle this. Forever. Okay? For ourselves. The New Testament and Jesus Christ commands us to do things. He actually gives us authoritative demands to do things. And as disciples of Jesus, those commandments do more than show us our sin, though they do show us our sin. The commandments that Jesus gives to His church, listen, He actually intends that we obey them. That we obey them. There are imperatives in the New Testament. And Jesus demands that we obey them. But, but, these imperatives, unlike every other world religion, are rooted in Jesus did something for us first. Jesus finished the work for us first. And only because of that can we do for the Lord. Can we obey Jesus Christ. So there's a flow and a rhythm between the do's and the does. And you need to know this as a disciple of Jesus, as a believer. You need to know this rhythm well. And in fact, if you were to compare the Christian life to a dance, we see it compared to a race in Scripture. But if you were compared to a dance, you could call it the gospel two-step. Your entire life, you're bouncing back and forth between what's done for you in Jesus and what you should do in response to that for Jesus. That's the gospel two-step. Do, done, do, done, do, done. That's the rhythms of the Christian life. And we see that in this text. The practical part. Our text calls us to be people of the truth. You see that in verse 9? We are to be people of the truth. We are to speak the truth to one another as opposed to lying to each other. That's our imperative this morning. That's the demand that the Lord Jesus has laid upon His church. Do not lie to one another. And then, in the same passage of Scripture, we see that demand rooted in something that has been done for us. Seeing this, something's been done for you in Christ. And specifically, we have two categories in this passage of the finished work of Jesus. Something happened in our past, and something is happening right now in our present. And those two things are supposed to have the effect of us keeping that commandment. So you see that rhythm. Do this because of this stuff that was done for you. I am telling you, if you don't get this, you don't get the Christian life. Do's rooted in done's. This is what makes our obedience distinctly Christian. This is what makes our obedience glorify Jesus Christ. The do's and the done's. So we need to learn this rhythm well as a local church and as disciples of Jesus. Error on one side makes you an antinomian that never keeps the commandments of God and ultimately does not know Jesus Christ. Error on the other side makes you a moralist that doesn't even need the Lord Jesus. You need to know that bounce back and forth between the do's and the don'ts. 
So let's dig into our text together. Our text begins with a commandment, a negative commandment. Or to say it a positive way, it commands us to live a life of truth. Look at verse 9. Do not lie to one another. Do not lie to one another. Now, if you were here last week, in the past few weeks, you know that at Grace Community Church, we've been coming through Colossians 3, and the context is about killing sin, about putting things away from us that are unfitting for a Christian. And specifically last week, if you were here, Ryan dived into these, these forms of speech that have no place in the Christian life. Look back in verse 8. There's things such as slander or obscene talk from your mouth. No place. They're like a Christian wearing gray clothes. No place where we're supposed to put these things away. Well, this passage uh, picks up. With that same theme, okay, we have another form of prohibited speech for the believer, and the Word of God calls that lying. Lying. And this text reminds us that lying has no place on the lips of a disciple of Jesus Christ. The only speech that is fitting for us is the truth. We only speak the truth. Listen to Ephesians chapter 4 verse 25. It says this, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. That verse describes your conversion as putting away falsehood. Every Christian, that can be said of every Christian, when you came to the Lord Jesus Christ, with repentant, saving faith, you put away falsehood. Therefore, the only appropriate speech for you now is speaking the truth in love. True speakers. True speakers. And we are specifically to speak this truth to one another. We are forbidden to lie to one another. So I want you to think about how appropriate that is for a follower of Jesus Christ. Think about that. This is us. We are the church. Our God, who is He? He's the God of truth. Our gospel, what is it? It's the word of truth. Our role, we're the church, we're the people of God. What's our role? Pillar and buttress of the truth. Do you see how appropriate it is? Therefore, that we, of all people on the planet, that we would speak the truth. That there would not be lies in our mouth towards one another. I want you to ponder this this morning. What would make a Christian lie? What would motivate a disciple of Jesus Christ? The one who said, He is the truth. That's the one that we follow. That's who we are. The people of God. What would motivate a disciple of Jesus to turn to another, another disciple of Jesus and lie to them? And I want you to notice that specifically what's in view here is lies within the body of Christ. Lie to one another. What in the world would motivate us to speak anything less than truth to one another? You think about this in some ways, in, in many ways, it doesn't fit us at all. But then coming around to the other side of that, we, we know this sin. This is a real temptation for us. It, it, it has no place in the Christian life, but it's more of a temptation for us than it should be. And the Scripture knows that. That's why we have it named here in the Word of God. Do not lie to one another. We need to hear that. Obviously, the Lord knows we need to hear it or we wouldn't have it recorded for us in sacred scripture. Do not lie to one another. And I believe that the motives are simple. God knows that we are tempted to look out to the body of Christ and paint this pretty up version of our lives to other people. He knows that about you. He knows that about me. And so we have this authoritative command. Do not lie to one another. The word used here is very vivid. Okay, 
The Greek root for lie is the word pseudo. Pseudo. And what is being commanded here is you are to avoid any and all pseudo-speech, pseudo-realities, false presentations in any way of the truth. This is the commandment. No pseudo-versions presented of ourselves to the brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't lie to one another. Do not lie to one another. So I want this commandment to land on us this morning as a reminder that you need to hear this and you need to know that you are tempted to put up a pseudo-version of yourself to your brothers and sisters in Christ. And the Word of God says when you do that, it calls it lying. It calls it lying. Painting a prettier version of our spiritual lives than the reality of our daily walk is pseudo-speech and it is lying. And it's forbidden in the Word of God. And I want to tell you there's two ways that we do this. We conceal our sins and we lie about our sins to one another. And that's the more obvious way that we lie. Is we have crooked speech in the way that we talk about our shortcomings and our, and our depravity. And we lie to one another about our sins. But that's not the only way we lie to one another. We also lie to one another by stretching the truth in regards to our obedience. Stretching the truth in regards to our obedience. And so there are blatant forms of this pseudo-speech and there are more subtle forms in the body of Christ of this lying, this pseudo-speech. And I think the more subtle forms is the stretching the truth in regards to our obedience. In other words, wanting people to think you're more godly in your, in your character than, than the daily rhythms of your life actually paint a picture of. Pseudo-speech. Lying. I think we need to be reminded of this. You think about, we're way too focused on what we don't do. What we don't, I'm okay in regards to the Lord and the commandments of Scripture because I don't do this. Okay? You ever, you ever said this in, in your unconverted state? Or you ever heard this from someone uh, sharing the gospel? I'm not that bad. It's not like I've ever killed anybody. So you have that, 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 that something about never killing anybody makes you this great person in right standing with God. And we know that the scriptures don't think about obedience like that. It's not just about what you're not saying. Okay? Or you're not doing. There's positive obligations for you. And so there's more subtle versions of being a liar than just blatantly telling somebody, this is A, but you say it's B. Especially in regards to your sin. There's more subtle versions than that. There's also this subtle version of magnifying and stretching the truth in regards to your obedience to Jesus Christ. And we have a reminder about this in Acts chapter 5. We meet a man in Acts chapter 5 named Ananias. And the Word of God tells us that this man, he lied to his local church. He lied to his local church leaders. And ultimately God's Word says the man lied to the Holy Spirit. Lied to the Holy Spirit. Under the new covenant and recorded in sacred scripture, the Word of God tells us that this man was struck dead in a moment as a judgment from God. That the God of Scripture hates lying and he struck him dead in the presence of the assembly. And he killed him. New covenant. God killed him. God judged lying in the midst of his people. He hates it. And brothers and sisters, do you know what he lied about? It wasn't the more blatant forms that we tend to associate with lying. The man said that he gave more money to his local church than he actually gave. He stretched the truth in regards to his obedience. He stretched it out a little bit and wanted to be thought of as a generous, open-handed disciple of Jesus. He was free to, to give as much or as little as he wanted, but he said he gave it all and he didn't give it all. And the Word of God called that a lie to the Holy Spirit and struck the man dead. This is a reminder for us. This is not just about blatant forms. This is about all the ways that we try to present ourselves 
to the body of Jesus Christ in a superior way than our daily life actually is. This is the reminder of Ananias. Why would we do that? Why would we present prettied up versions of ourselves, more obedient versions of ourselves, more godly versions of ourselves, more zealous versions of ourselves, more faithful versions of ourselves. Why would we do that? Why would we talk about ourselves like that to others in the body of Christ? And I want to submit to you that I think the reason is very clear that we talk about ourselves and present ourselves in a superior way, listen close, in order to secure the praise of men. You want men and women and your brothers and sisters in Christ to think better of you than they actually should. A.K.A. you want them to praise you. You want the praise and acceptance of men. This is why we are motivated to speak crooked and not straight. This is why we're motivated to throw up pseudo-realities instead of the truth. And that motive can drive us in a number of ways. We said it can be blatant or it can be really subtle. Such as presenting yourself on social media in a light that has almost no bearing on your daily life. Do you understand that? Do you understand the dangers in our generation of the social media version of yourself? The highly edited version of yourself. The version of yourself that you throw up in front of other people. This is what I want you to think about me. Do you understand the dangers of presenting yourself in a crooked way, in a pseudo way? So there's more subtle ways that this line can take root in our life. When we desire for others just to see us in a different light than our daily life paints. And so what we have here is a text that commands us, don't do this. And then it roots this obedience to this command back into the finished work of Christ. And so I want to hold that out for you this morning, that God's word gives us a remedy for a man or a woman who just wants to be praised by men, wants to be thought well of by others, there's a remedy for that. And it's knowing who you are in Jesus Christ. It's knowing the gospel. It's walking in what the Lord Jesus has done for you. And once you learn to drink from that well, you don't need to praise men. You don't need to walk around in this world pseudo-speech and throwing up false versions of yourself. You are set free. You have the glorious freedom of the children of God to, to know and be known. And to call it straight. And to speak the truth about yourself. Even to speak the truth about your sins. And so the point of the text today is simple. Those who know who they are in Jesus don't waste their life by walking around and putting a spin on their character in order to be praised by men. Let's look at it together. Let's look at it together. Verse 10. Finishing in verse 9 and going into verse 10. Obedience to this command is rooted in you knowing something. Specifically, you knowing the effects of the gospel in your life. Let's pick it up in verse 9. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on a new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So with these words, Paul reminds the Colossians and the Holy Spirit is reminding us today that something happened to you in Jesus and something is continuing to happen to you in Jesus. Look down at the text. Something happened to you in Jesus. You put off something, you put on something. You need to know that about yourself as a Christ follower. And not only that, something is happening to you in Jesus right now. You're being renewed. And you need to know that about yourself. This is your 
identity. The gospel caused something to happen in your past, and it's causing something to happen in your present. Let's start with the past. Something was taken off, and something was put on. This is true. It's objective truth for every Christian. That means it's not tied to how you feel. It's not tied to how bad of a week you had. Every follower of Christ put off something. And every follower of Jesus Christ has put on something. Something was taken off. And something was put on. And this is our identity. This is our true identity. And so we need to know it well. You know things about yourself. Like your social security number. That are a million times less important than this. You need to know who you are. You need to know that something was put off and something that has been put on. And so let's dive into this together. It's going to take a minute. It's going to take a minute. Look at verse 9. Specifically, and it's very common in English translations, to define the thing that was taken off and the thing that was put on is the old self and the new self. The old self and the new self. And that word self has frequently been interpreted as natures. Frequently been interpreted as you took off the old nature and you put on the new nature. And even when I say that, there's been some disagreement historically as to what that actually means. Does the believer, does he add a new nature to his old and have two, a sinful nature and regenerate nature? Or does that new nature completely erase the old nature? Okay? So this is, this is the path we go down with the word self. The focus is on you. And the old you and the new you. But I want to drop this in a little more this morning. And I think that's a wrong way of trying to understand this passage. I think that's a wrong path. Being real specific... The word self, the word translated as self, is the Greek word anthropos. And it simply means man. That's all it means. That's what it means. Okay? It means man. And so the word of God is telling us that you put off the old man and you put on the new man. And so with that word self there, it leaves this verse open to vagueness. And, and, and I think it's unhelpful and it can actually lead us to misinterpret what God has for us here. So the word is man. And you need to know that you put off the old man. And more specifically, that you put on the new man. Now one more step here. This word man can be used in the singular to represent the plural. It's called a representative singular in Scripture. A singular figure to represent a plural, a big group of people. So turn to Ephesians chapter 2. This is how the word is used. In Ephesians chapter 2, we are told that humanity is split into two groups. You have Jews and Gentiles. And there was a dividing wall of hostility that separated these peoples. But then the Lord Jesus came and died for our sins. And then Ephesians chapter 2 verse 15 says, it describes the effect of the work of Christ and the death of Christ. Listen to what it says. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 15 tells us that God, listen close, created one new man in place of the two. One new man in place of the two. That does not mean that, that one believer was created. That is pointing to one singular figure that represents the entire group. And so what's in view in Ephesians 2.15 is a new humanity. Jesus Christ created a new humanity. A new creation. And the word man in the singular represents that. There's a new humanity now. A new creation. And this representative singular is how the word is being used 
in Colossians 3. This is how it's being used in Colossians 3. So I understand Paul to be saying this. That when you took off the old man, when you put away the old man, our link to the old humanity was broken. Was broken. And then the opposite of that is this. When you put on the new man, you became part of the new humanity. And the two singular men that we see mentioned in Colossians chapter 3, old man, new man, are not old, old you and new you. Old man, new man. Specifically, the old man, the new man. So you're not in you mainly here. This is talking about Adam and Jesus Christ. The old man was put away. You have put on the new man. This is pointing to you, you being broken off of old, unregenerate humanity and your link with Adam, the first man, being severed and you're being united to the last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, and united to this new humanity. Adam and Jesus are the, the singular representative heads of two humanities. Do you understand this about God's Word? They are unlike any other human being. There is no one else that their obedience and their disobedience is imputed to other people. God doesn't do that with anybody else except Adam and Jesus. Do you see this? They're completely unique in all of Scripture. The disobedience and the condemnation of Adam is imputed to every person who is united to Adam, joined to Adam. And the righteousness of Jesus Christ is imputed to every person that is united to Him. They represent every person that's ever existed. They are the only two figures that can represent every person that has ever existed. They are corporate heads. They are representatives. They are federal heads of two humanities. The old and the new. The old man and the new man. Listen to Puritan Thomas Goodwin. Listen to what he says. He said, There are two representatives standing before God with all other men hanging from their belts. Two representatives standing before God and everybody else is in them. They're the representatives. And so you need to learn to think about your identity in this way. I'm no longer in Adam, I'm in Jesus. I'm no longer part of the old humanity and the old creation. I'm part of the new humanity and the new creation. They were our representatives. They are our representatives before God. And do you know what that word means? If your representative falls flat on his face, you fall flat on your face. If your representative overcomes and conquers, you overcome and conquer. This is the picture that we see with Adam and Jesus. So, to put away the old man is a gift of grace that has already been done in the life of every Christian. It's a done. The old man has been put away. What does that mean? That means your sinful union with Adam has been broken. You are no longer in Adam. You are no longer in the old creation. It has passed away. It no longer has dominion in your life. Adam doesn't reign over you anymore. Jesus reigns over you. You're not a member of the old humanity. The word put away... And we see in, in verse 9, this is the same verb that was used back in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. That when it talked about the evil powers, the evil spirits that had sway in your life, Colossians 2, 15 says that the Lord Jesus stripped them, He disarmed them. That's the same word. These things were stripped and dethroned and disarmed in your life. They don't have power and dominion over you anymore. You're not in Adam anymore. 
The bond with Adam was broken. And therefore sin no longer rules you like a taskmaster. You need to know that about yourself. You need to know that about yourself. Your identity is not dominion of sin. Joined to the man of condemnation. This is you no longer. This is who you are in Christ. This is who you are in Christ. And the opposite of that is, is, is even more true. That, that not only has that union and that bond with the old man Adam been broken, but you have put on a new man. And what that you just took a bad garment off, but you put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You have been joined to the Lord Jesus, the new man, the last Adam, the one who represents the new humanity. The one who has been given power over sin. And shared that power with every single one of us. This is who you are. You're not joined to, 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 to that uh, rotting carcass. That man of condemnation. You're not joined to him anymore. You're joined to the resurrected uh, king of glory. The, the righteous one. This is who you are united to now. This is your identity. As a believer, listen to Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. It says this, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Do you think about yourself like that? I have put on the Lord Jesus one time forever. Finished work. Every believer. To put on the new man is to be identified with the Lord Jesus and to be a member of the new humanity. Do you know this about yourself? Something happened to you in your past. Something happened to you that changed your eternity forever. The bonds to Adam were broken and you were joined to the Lord Jesus. And so do you know this? Do you know? Are you intimately familiar that you have a new representative before God? Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 21. Listen close. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ. All shall be made alive. We praise the living God for the last Adam. We praise the living God for the Lord Jesus Christ, the resurrected one. And we praise Him for His power, that He alone is powerful enough to break those bonds that joined us to Adam and the old creation. Praise to Christ. This is the most important thing for any human being to know. Has this transfer happened in your life? It's the most important thing for you to settle. Have you been transferred out of the old humanity and into the new? Have the bonds to the man of sin, Adam, have they been broken into your life? And have you been joined to the Lord Jesus Christ? It's the most important thing for you to settle. If not, if this has not happened in your, in your life... The Bible promises you certain everlasting death. And the other side of that is also true. If this transfer, if this union with the Lord Jesus has happened in your life, then the Scriptures have promised you certain everlasting life. Has this exchange taken place in your life? Are you still in Adam or have you been joined to the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you put on the new man? When we say you need to believe in Jesus, that's a Greek preposition, and a more accurate way to say that is when we see it in God's Word, believe in Christ. more accurate way to say that is, is believe into Jesus. Into Him. How do I get joined to Jesus? The Bible is really clear about that. You believe the Gospel. You believe into Christ. That's the only way in. There's no other way in. You have to repent of your sins and, and believe His gospel. You have to trust in Jesus. And to trust in Jesus is to enter into union with Christ. No one 
who has ever believed the gospel has not been united to Christ. This is an objective truth for every Christian, for every single Christian. Our faith is what unites us to Christ. But then we're told that something else has happened to us. Not just, this has happened in your past. And you need to know this about yourself. But it focuses in on our present life. The gospel is causing something to be done in the here and now in your life. Look at it in verse 10. This new humanity is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Ongoing work in the life of every Christian. Name a Christian that's not being renewed in knowledge. Impossible. God is committed to our sanctification. Every single one of us. We are predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. God is renewing us because of the gospel, because of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. We are being renewed. God is at work in us. That's a passive. Do you know that about yourself? That stuff, God is doing stuff to you. God is doing things to you. You are being renewed. You're not renewing yourself. God is sovereign in our life. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. This is an ongoing process. It's a daily process in our life. God is at work in us. Is that an encouraging thing? God is at work in me. He is renewing me. Daily, inner man being renewed, specifically renewed in knowledge. Romans chapter 12 tells us an incredible secret about the Christian life and Christian growth and Christian maturity. And it says this, that anytime you can just take this as a law of the kingdom of God, anytime that someone is transformed, Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says it comes like this. Transformed by the renewal of your mind. That's how God makes you different. Is you understand something that you didn't understand before. He transforms you by your truth, by His truth. He transforms us through knowing something that we didn't know before, or knowing it to a greater degree than we knew before. This is how transformation in Christian growth always happens. It's through knowledge. Through knowledge. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Some people talk about versions of Christianity where it's not about the mind and the mind is downplayed. But this is what we see here. It's always like this. Christian maturity is about an ever-expanding mind. Ever-expanding knowledge. Not just feelings, knowledge. Getting, getting the knowledge of God in the soul of man. The knowledge of God's will. The knowledge of God's word. The knowledge of Holy Scripture. Driving it into us. That's how God makes us different. Through this means of knowledge, what is God doing in our life? Renewing us through the means of knowledge unto what end? So that we would be really smart? No. So that we would be made into the image of the Creator. And that's a reminder that when we say God's at work in me, God's at work in me, we mean this. God is making me like Jesus. God is making me like Christ. God is conforming me to the image of the Son. This is exactly what is told us in verse 10. We're being renewed in knowledge according to the image of the Creator. Authentic Christ-likeness. God is doing this in us. And every Christian... This is His new covenant promise. He will finish the work that He starts in us. This is the destiny of every believer in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. In order that we might be the firstborn. That He might be the firstborn among many brothers. That's your destiny. If you're a Christian, you are destined to be made like Jesus. No dropouts there. No dropouts all across the church of Jesus Christ. 
This is your destiny, and God has committed to this in your life. So I want you to think about this. If we were to really lay hold of just a little glory that we see just right there, just on the surface, if you were really to lay hold of that as a follower of Christ, that that link with Adam, gone, broken, done forever, that you have enjoyed to the new man, the resurrected Lord of glory. What would it look like if you laid hold of that? And not only that, that this definitive work has happened in your past, what would it look like if you laid a hold of this glorious reality? God is at work in me. I am being renewed day by day. I know I'm not perfect yet. I'm not supposed to be. This thing doesn't finish until the resurrection. What would it look like if you knew that? That in every season, every day that God is at work in me, what would that produce? What would that produce in your life if you knew that this thing ends in certain victory? In certain victory. There's no way that God will not finish His work in you. It's impossible. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 49. He says this, Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. That's how it ends. It ends with you perfectly and forever being conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. For every Christian, for every single one of us. What would this produce in your life if you really laid hold of these realities that you are saved that a work has been accomplished for you. That your righteousness is not tied up in your good days and bad days. Your righteousness is in that God man in heaven. What would it look like if you lay hold of that? That this is an ongoing process. Yes, there are struggles, but God is committed to work in you. But this thing ends in certain victory. A believer who really lays hold of these things could care less about the praise of men. Could care less about the praise of men. At the end of the day, somebody who has tasted these gospel realities, that I am righteous in Jesus Christ and God is at work in me, at the end of the day, and I mean this with, with as much kindness as I can say it, they don't care what you think. They don't care what you think. They're in Christ. He is everything to them. And so they're not walking around in the world trying to throw up pretty up versions of themselves because they're secure in Christ. They're anchored in this glorious gospel. This glorious gospel. You have to know this about yourself. This is the only way to be set free from that pseudo life. And what I mean by that is that the gospel has the power to tear the mask off. And you can actually walk around in this world and not wear that mask, that prettied up mask to try to speak about yourself favorably to others or present yourself in a more superior light to others. That mask can be ripped off through the finished work of Christ. And us laying a hold of what we have in the Lord Jesus. And he draws our attention in this final point. Not only is this applied to individual disciples of Jesus. This is a truth for the entire church. And specifically a truth for Grace Community Church. So I want to just think about just for a moment. What are the effects of the gospel on the whole? On the whole. Look at verse 11. Here there is not Greek and Jew. Circumcised and uncircumcised. Barbarian. Scythian. Slave. Free. But Christ is all and in all. So here, here, here's what I believe that he's going for here. Okay, Our temptations to lie to one another are connected to us believing a lie ourselves. They're connected. In other words, if I lie to you, it's because I believe the lie myself. And the lie that I think so many of us have fallen into is this lie that there's a such thing as inferiors and superiors in the body of Christ. And if you actually believe that, then everything that you're going to do is going to be, I don't want to be labeled as an inferior, 
And I do want to be labeled as a superior. If you actually believe that distinction is there, it can, it can malfunction in the way that you live. And so what he does is he reminds us that the gospel tears it all down. On this group corporately and in the church universal, the gospel tears that stuff down. There are no inferiors and superiors in the body of Christ. And once you get that, then you're set free. Right? If it doesn't even exist, then you don't, then you don't walk around in the world presenting a superior version of yourself. Because it's a pseudo. It doesn't even exist. The gospel sets us free. And it undercuts this entire way of thinking. And so think about this. Sometimes we have trouble celebrating the glory of the gospel in the way that the New Testament does. And one of the things that I think we have trouble celebrating is the corporate aspects of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. One example of that would be that verse we read in Ephesians 2, verse 15. One new man in place of the two. And, and, and God's word presents that as such a blessing, such an explosive celebration that the Lord Jesus tore down every wall of hostility between the peoples. And so I want you to see this. Wake up and, and see the glory of this. The glory of the new creation, the new humanity that you have been made a part of. And specifically here, what he says in verse 11. And this solidifies everything that we said about that word self. Okay, He starts with here. In verse 11, he says here. He doesn't say in you. He's talking about something corporate. Here. That means that the self, old, old you, new you, is not the main thing that's in view in verses 9 and 10. Old humanity, new humanity. And when he says here, he means here in the new creation, in the new humanity. Let me tell you something about this new creation. This is bigger than you individually. God has done something corporately in the midst of his people, in the midst of the new creation. And specifically what he tells us here is he tears down every worldly division that divides humanity into inferiors and superiors. Do you celebrate the glory of the gospel in that way? That's part of its power. That's part of its glory. So look at what he says here. Paul gives us four categories of divisions that divide humanity outside of Jesus. Four categories. And these exalt the work of Christ. This is a glimpse of what the Lord Jesus has done, not just in you as an individual, but in His people, in His church. So let's start with the first one. Jew or Greek. This is reminding every single one of us that here, in the new creation, in the new humanity, no Jew, no Greek. Jesus tore down that stuff. And you can call that an ethnic barrier where, where humanity is divided up with these supposed superior and inferior ethnicities. Tore it down. Jesus Christ tore that down. It doesn't exist in the new creation. No more of that. No more of that dividing up inferior and superior based on ethnicity. And not only that, no more circumcised and uncircumcised. What, what do we see here? That means all, this, all these religious barriers that divide humanity, inferior and superior. Jesus tore that down. There's no more religious barriers in the new creation. No more ethnic barriers. No more religious barriers. No more cultural barriers in the new humanity. No more, you're from this place or, or you're from Madison, you're from Pearl, right? That's, that's kind of what we get kind of what we get with barbarian Scythian. Barbarian is really uncivilized. Maybe that's, maybe that's you, Clinton. I don't know. But, but Scythian is like to the end of uncivilized. And that's the world folks. The, the, the grammatical train wreck, right? And so what we're celebrating that, that that stuff divides humanity of their superior and their inferior. But the text says, no, the Lord Jesus tore that stuff down. Nobody's superior and inferior based off of, of, of culture, of distinction anymore. And then that last one is socioeconomic. Socioeconomic, that you're more important because you have more money. 
You're more important because you have more freedom. You're less important because you have less money and less freedom. And again, we see the powerful work of the Lord Jesus Christ and He snatches it down and He says there's no more slavery and free. No more slavery and free. So He is ripping down everything. Everything. He is ripping it down. Listen in Galatians 3 verse 28. There's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean that those distinctions cease to exist. We still have ethnicities. It may, do, you, do you understand that? Like, we don't all become one ethnicity. It just means that they don't even matter anymore. They, they've lost the, the, their dominion. We're not ruled by these paradigms. They're irrelevant because of the gospel. Jesus has tore them down. He has tore down the dividing wall. And you say this, man, what does that leave? Like he's tearing down everything, right and left. We split humanity up in this group, in this group, in this group, superior, inferior. He's tearing it down, tearing it down, tearing it down. You said, is there anything left? And Paul says, yes. Christ is all to us. Jesus is everything to us. He, it's not that He just tears it down, tears it down, tears it down and have nothing. He tears everything that stands as a rival to Him. He is all to us. He is everything to the new creation and the new humanity. He has supremacy in the new humanity. He has no rival. Christ is all to us. That means we look at each other and we can care less what your ethnicity is or your socioeconomic status is. All we want to know is do you bow the knee and worship the Lord Jesus Christ? He is everything to us. That's the only standard that we judge men by. It's our day in Christ. He is all. He is everything to us. He is our obsession in the new humanity, in the people of God. Colossians 1.18 says this about Jesus. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything He might have preeminence. We don't give attention to that stuff anymore. We give attention to Jesus Christ. Intention of Jesus Christ. And not only is Christ all, the text says this. He's in all. So here, in the new humanity, in the new creation, He indwells every single believer. Is that not mind-blowing, glorious grace that the resurrected Lord of the universe lives in you? And it doesn't matter where you're from or how much money you have or don't have or any of these cultural distinctions. He doesn't show favoritism. He indwells every single member of His church. Every single one of us. Christ is all to us and Christ is in us. Colossians chapter 1 verse 27 tells us that He's Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ in us, the hope of of glory. What does that look like? When the things that we're talking about, when they land on a local church and they really drink deeply of, of these gospel realities, how does that land on us? No more dividing walls, no more inferior, superior. Every single member has the indwelling Christ. It lands on us in this way. We don't look at each other in that light anymore, we don't judge each other according to the flesh. We judge each other of in Christ or outside of Christ, and that's it. That means we look out in the body of Christ, and there's no more inferiors. And the other side of that is a double-edged sword. That means there's also no more superiors. And that will set you free from walking around in this world trying to paint this pretty-up version of yourself. You're still falling into that old way of thinking. That there's, a, there's actually a paradigm of superior and inferior. It is a glorious truth, Grace Community Church, that the one who means everything to us, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is all to us, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
He dwells in every single one of us. That is a glorious gospel objective reality for every churchman. For every single churchman. And I'm convinced that this is the only thing powerful enough to set you free from wearing that mask and living that pseudo life as you being identified with the Lord Jesus Christ and your identity is found in Him. This is it. This is the only thing that can set a man or a woman free from walking around as a pretender in this world. And so I'll close with this. May the Lord set us free from the praise of man and Grace Community Church. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. That is the only path forward for us. Speaking the truth in love. Let's pray. Father, we come to You, Lord, and we are Your people, and we desire, God, that You would use Your truth, Lord, and that You would set us free, God. God, set us free from these sinful motives. God, come against them with the power of Your Gospel. And I pray, God, that a new freedom would land on us in Grace Community Church to know each other and be known in truth. God, I pray that You would deliver us from pretensions and pretending. Lord, do this. In the power of Your Gospel, do this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.